interesting uh, little tune after the song that we just sang, <laughs> The Great I Am. What a, great, uh, what a great statement to repeat that God is the great I Am. You know, Angelina's husband, Vinny, died, and uh, in his will, he had specified that she spend $40,000 on his funeral. And as the last guest departed the reception, his wife, Angelina, turned to her closest friend, and she said, Ah, Maria, Vinny would be pleased. Yes, Maria replied. Then Maria whispered, So the truth, how much did this really cost? Well, Vinny said, or, uh, Maria said, All of it, $40,000. And Maria said, no, I mean, it was very grand, but $40,000. Angelina answered, the funeral was $6,500. I donated $500 to the church, the reception another thousand, and the rest went for the memorial stone. Maria computed quickly, and she said, mama mia, Angelina, $32,000 for a memorial stone? How big is it? And then she showed her. You know, Woody Allen said concerning death that he was strongly against it. And he was also asked if he wanted to live on after he died. And this was his response. I want to live on in my apartment. Interesting perspective, I guess. Uh, you know, every person on the planet faces the question or questions surrounding death. Um, every belief system, including atheism, has answered the questions it's one of the most important questions that we'll ever answer. What happens when we die? Last, last year, that is an answer, Garrett, thank you. Last year, NBC News reported on a study done by a San Diego State University professor, and this is what they said. In recent years, fewer Americans prayed, fewer Americans believed in God, took the Bible literally, attended religious services, fewer as religious, fewer affiliated with a religion, or had confidence in religious institutions. Yet, 80% of Americans said they believe in an afterlife in 2014, which was up 73%, or was up from 73% in previous years. Now, the professor commented, it was interesting that fewer people participated in religion, but more believed in the afterlife. It might be, and this is quoting this particular professor, it might be part of a growing entitlement mentality, thinking you can get something for nothing. Maybe. Now, the deep longing of the vast majority of human beings is, is to look at this life and realize that there must be something better. There, there must be something more to come, because sometimes this life can seem awfully insignificant. It can seem like things are, are just, you know, sort of chaotic. Um, and, and here's why we tend to think that there's something more to come. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says this, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Did you catch that? He has also set eternity in the human heart. We have this sense that life is eternal, and whether you believe in the Bible or Christianity or any other religion, God put that in our heart, that there is something 
more to come. That's why every worldview, every belief system deals with this. There's just something in the human heart that cries out, there's got to be more. And the answer comes in all different shapes and sizes. While many people may believe that all religions basically say the same, they couldn't be further from the truth because they don't. British scholar N.T. Wright says this in his book about the afterlife, There is a world of difference between the Muslim that believes that a Palestinian boy killed by Israeli soldiers goes straight to heaven and the Hindu for whom the rigorous outworking of karma means that one must return to a different body to pursue the next stage in one's destiny. There is a world of difference between the Orthodox Jew who believes that all the righteous will be raised to a new individual bodily life in the resurrection and the Buddhist who hopes after death to disappear like a drop in the ocean, losing one's own identity in the great nameless and formless beyond. Now besides the religious answers, there are people who don't believe in any kind of afterlife. Uh, Philosopher Ernest Nagel says this, human destiny is an episode between two oblivions. So in other words, when you die, you rot. That's it. That's the end. Uh, Nietzsche said this, life is an unprofitable episode that disrupts an otherwise blessed state of non-existence. Wow, there's some encouragement for you. Right? That almost sounds like I wish I'd never been born. Even among Christians, though, there is a lot of speculation and conclusion. N.T. Wright says this, I am convinced that most practicing Christians are muddled and misguided on this topic and that this muddle produces quite serious mistakes in our thinking, our praying, our practice, and particularly our mission in the world. We ask these questions. What happened, to mom and what happened to mom or grandpa when they died? As young children, sometimes we ask that question. What's going to happen to me when I die? And does this life impact the next? And if so, how? Have you ever asked any of those questions? Now, I, I don't know how clear I'm going to make the muddled water this morning, but I hope to clear up a couple things and then also to give us some additional things to consider and think about as we think about the topic of heaven, which is a huge topic mind you. Um, So I'm not going to get terribly specific this morning. I hope that's okay with you. Now, some people believe that the whole point of Christianity is to get to heaven, that that's why I believe in Jesus, that that's why I live this good life, so that once this one is over, there's, there's heaven, there's something good that's going to come. Maybe the only reason that God became a human was so that we could have our ticket to heaven punched. And when we do, we sort of end up with God in this mysterious way, and oftentimes I think our minds gravitate, and Hollywood doesn't help us with this, towards floating around in the clouds as some sort of angel with wings, that's one way to to look at it, strumming a harp. I remember as a kid, as a young boy, thinking, that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I like music, but really? Really? Sitting on a cloud or standing on a cloud, strumming a harp. I mean, that's sometimes we get that perspective that, that heaven is that way. Um, some of my own personal notions about heaven have been challenged in the last couple of weeks. During vacation Bible school, one of our lessons was on heaven. What's that going to look like? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What, what, a place with... What does that look like? 
How does the resurrection of Jesus affect my life today and in eternity? Now, one of the big themes, one of the big hopes and and expectations of the Old Testament narrative is that it points to the future, that someday the the Messiah is going to come and and all of this stuff that we're experiencing right now is going to be set right, that God is going to fix it all, that it's going to be okay. The prophets spoke a great deal about this. They said that there was the old age in which they lived, and there was going to come a new age when God would make everything again as he had originally intended it to be. Now, they looked around at their world, and they concluded that things were not the way they're supposed to be. In fact, I don't think any one of us in this room or any thoughtful person on the planet would look at the way our world is and life and say, this is great. This has to be how God intended it to be. I, I don't think we would draw the conclusion that there's nothing wrong with our world, that everything is just the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I can, give you, I can give you a list. Let's, let's think about a few things. Disease, cancer, epidemics, global health crises, chronic pain, poverty, and starvation. There are 3 billion people that survive on $2.50 or less a day. You know, you don't have to boil your water to, to be reminded how thankful you are that you live in a place where there is actually running water. And that you don't have to worry. Even drinking our bad water, we probably wouldn't have to worry about getting as sick as some people do in the world when they drink the water, the only water that they have. There's political corruption. There's war. There's natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. Relational conflict, failed marriages, families alienated from each other, petty arguments. Sin, whether or not people call it this, All humans struggle with measuring up, with doing what's right, with choosing the choices that they have to make. There's evil in our world, mass shootings, using kids as sex toys, and that is just evil. And it happens every day to thousands and thousands and thousands of children worldwide. And then there's death, when everything that matters to us, everything that we love is taken away. In that moment, that's how it feels. I mean, it's not hard to demonstrate that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And in the midst of all of this, there, is, there are these big themes of the whole Bible that God one day is going to set it right. And there are days and there are weeks when I think, God, couldn't that day be today? My life would be so much easier if I was on the other side of eternity. <laughs> Isaiah 11 verse 9 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I mean, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Completely. The whole idea is summarized in, in this phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Which is not so much speaking of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, is not so much a specific place, though it includes that, as it is an environment where God is so present that he leads everything. He influences everything. He touches everything and he heals everything. And then when Jesus comes onto the scene and people begin to notice things, one of of the most repeated phrases that Jesus ever used was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
or the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. He used those, uh, a mixture of those three phrases 99 times in the New Testament. In Jesus' most famous prayer, he says this, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in regards to the disease, Jesus miraculously, when he's here, when he's walking the earth, heals diseases like leprosy and blindness, and people begin to notice. He feeds hungry crowds with an abundance of food left over. He, he exposes the political corruption of the Roman Empire by submitting to it in a very quiet way. Nature, he calms the storm, and he, he speaks to nature, and it listens to him. He helps 12 very competitive, opinionated, disagreeable disciples learn to get along. Jesus begins to set right relational breakdowns. Sin, he forgives people of their sin. Of course, something that only God can do. Jesus attracts huge crowds of people as he's doing his ministry, as he's doing these things on the earth. And Jesus casts out evil spirits from people. So that even the demonic obeyed Jesus. We sang a song just now that speaks truth. Hell has nothing against the power of Jesus. Demons run. Though I think sometimes we have to put up a fight. And then there's death. Now I think, and, and maybe I've said this before, and I'm sort of rethinking this position Sometimes we think that the only point of miracles, the miracles that Jesus did, was to demonstrate his power over all of those things, which it did. But what else did it do? It put things the way that they were supposed to be. When Jesus healed someone, that's the way God had intended them to be. When he fed them, he originally intended for us to experience the Garden of Eden, for instance. And not only began to put things the way that they were supposed to be, but they, the way that they're going to be sometime in the future. Then Jesus travels into Jerusalem one day, and within a week, he's dead. And all of the people that were believing and trusting and thinking and, and, and uh, learning from Jesus, they all begin to wonder, now what? What happens now? This one who we had trusted, who is not here any more. The reason that Jesus was such a disappointment to so many then, and I think sometimes is a disappointment to people now, is because we want this. We want for everything to be fixed and everything to be right and for there not to be any pain and for there not to be any sadness or brokenness in our life or anybody else's. But instead, we get this. Right? Broken people. So, the reality is that the future has come into the present, into the present, but it's not completely in the present. Okay, I, I want to, let me give you an illustration that my brother Dennis uses to explain this. How many of you know when we commemorate D-Day? Raise your hand. When do we commemorate D-Day? What day is it? D-Day. June 6th. 
Okay, D-Day occurred on June 6, 1944. That was the day when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. Why do we commemorate that particular battle of all the battles that occurred? Because it was the decisive one. That was the one that won the war. That was the day when it all changed for the good guys. Okay, but there were other battles, right? Uh, How many of you know when V-Day is? Right. Or VE Day, Victory in Europe. That's May 8th, 1945. There's a VJ Day, was August 14th, 1945. You know, we don't commemorate those necessarily. But those were the days that the war actually ended. But the day that we remember was, the, was Normandy. That was D Day. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, humanity's greatest enemy was, in fact, defeated once and for all. That was D-Day. That was the decisive battle that changed the course of history forever. And because of what happened on that cross, we know that the ultimate enemy, death, has been defeated. And we know that we can live the kingdom of heaven Life now, actually, because it has arrived. It's not just something that begins in the future someday, but at the same time, we aren't experiencing it in its fullness because there still is a V-Day to come when the ultimate victory has been had. That is when either you and I pass from this life to the next as a Christ follower or Jesus returns. See, it's like now, but not yet. John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's our D-Day. When we we respond to the call of Jesus Christ on our life and we believe, that is our D-Day. That is in that moment of time when we become a member of heaven, when we become a member of the kingdom of God, not not some future day that will eventually get here, but there is. We begin in that moment in time living within the kingdom of heaven. A very influential Christian professor and writer, Dallas Willard, died a few years ago of cancer, and before he died, he was asked what he was thinking about dying. Before he died, he was asked this question, and he said this, I wonder how long it will be when I'm dead until I realize I've died because Jesus said that those who believe in him would not even taste death. Asked from this life to the next. Be fun to ask him, wouldn't it? So how did that go? What what was it like? Paul writes that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the sting has been taken out of death. Not the sadness, but the sting. We grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. 
defeated. In one of the last chapters in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, is a description of the great heavenly city Jerusalem. In fact, there are dimensions given, and I, I've, I've studied it before, and I've, I've looked at quite, there are so many questions surrounding Revelation chapter 21. What, anyway, I, what I do know, and it's very clear, that in this Jerusalem, God is there. And it is, it is the way that everything should be. No tears, no death, no conflict, no pain. Revelation 21, 2 through 3 says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Oh, that's not working. Got it. I keep thinking that I'm, you're not seeing these verses. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Can you imagine? I can only imagine. I actually saw that movie last week. It's really good if you haven't seen it yet. John's vision doesn't seem to be a vision of all of the people being transported away and out. It seems to be a vision of God coming down. In fact, God's heavenly city arrives on the earth to touch and reconcile everything to him. And here's where I begin to wonder, what is it actually going to be like? I mean, God is going to dwell with his people. There's no doubt that that's going to be the case. In fact, there's, um, Revelation says there's no, there's no sun required. God is the light that we need. And when that happens, this earth will be completely new. And the arrival will heal all of the nations. People often say after a major house renovation, it's like I have a brand new house. After we remodeled our bathroom, my wife said, it's, not, it's like it's not even our bathroom. It was so different and so much better than what it was. Um... People have a brush with death, and they say, it's like I have a whole new life. I see things all differently. People put new tires on their motorcycle, and it's like I have, we just had this conversation this morning, it's like I have a new bike. It transforms it. So when we think about the new heaven and the new earth, what I want to propose this morning is that we consider the the idea that God takes the planet that we have now and somehow he makes it new. Another reason why I, I kind of think about this is this way is because that uh, John says, and I'm jumping ahead I think in my notes here, but uh, John says in his vision, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. So the sea is now gone, it's disappeared and it's like, you know, the old isn't there anymore and the new is here. But the sea is missing. So that, to me, makes me wonder if God just didn't remove the ocean, I don't know, to make room for all the people that are saved. I... Oh, now I've got to find my notes. 
Now, again, this is a huge subject, and what I want us to take away from it this morning are four things, and, and it's four things that I think as Christ followers um, we experience because we are a part of the kingdom of God, okay? And it's not something that we have to wait for. Four reasons that this is such good news. The first is this. We get a larger payoff for our work. We get a larger payoff for our work. A young boy asked his grandmother what she wanted for her 85th birthday, and she replied, I want to take trombone lessons. And he said, Grandma, you're 85. Why on earth do you want to take trombone lessons? And she said, because I want to play trombone in the next life, and I want to get started now. I mean, think about that. In our worship today, it doesn't end when we die. It continues on. It's like we're practicing. If the only thing that gets saved from this life into the next is our soul, I think that kind of minimizes the present life. What happens to all of this work that we do? Does it just... I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I, I, hope that, I hope that the wheels are spinning in your head and that we can have lots of conversations in the next month or so about this because I want to know more. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Is that only for this life or is that work, possible work in vain um, applied to the next life as well? Something to think about this morning. I mean, I'm not sure that we're greasing the wheels on a machine that's just going to go over the cliff one day and cease to exist. And almost as hard as it is to believe in the resurrection is the idea that what we accomplish here will become at some point in the future part of God's new world. Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and the beauty of this world will possibly carry into the next. All of the great music will be there. I think box music will be there. Country? Mm, maybe. I mean, I have people, I have young kids and adults as well ask me, are there going to be, is my dog going to be in heaven? Are there going to be animals in heaven? I honestly, I always tell the kids, absolutely not. No, I, I'm a little more diplomatic than that. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Do I hope there's fishing in heaven? Yes, I do. And in order to fish, there's got to be fish. Now, there's no oceans, but there are streams. There's rivers. We're told that. That is the truth. What about, um, what about our work? You know, work is something that we're going to do forever. Oh, you may be thinking, really? Yes. Go back and look before the fall, before the fall in Genesis chapter 1 and see why God put Adam and Eve in the garden. To work it. To work it. You see, work is a good thing. But the work that we now suffer because of the fall is not like God originally intended it to be. But yet it's still important. You know, sometimes I drive down the road and I think, you know, there's all these farmers and they're working hard and they're producing wheat and sometimes the, the great white combine comes through and it's all gone and, and uh, how do you live that life? Ugh. 
But then I think, I wonder if farmers ever get exasperated and think what they do is really not, you know, sure, it's putting food on the table, but is that the only thing that it's doing for them? Because they're selling their crops, they're buying groceries, they're paying the utilities, etc. Is that it? Or is there a greater purpose to farming and raising cattle and the things that we do in this area? Absolutely there is. It's to feed the rest of the world. And that's a good thing. And I think, and I'll tell you why here in a second, that we're going to need farmers in, in the new earth. Because we're going to have to eat. Which goes against the notion that we're just some sort of spirit or angel, right? Because do angels eat? We're never told that they do. I don't know. So, the, the first thing, the first, first good news is that we get a larger payoff for our work. The second is this, we get a longer purpose for our planet. Uh, if this planet is one where humans are going to live forever, I think that should in, increase our motivation to explore it, to get to know it, to discover it, to care for it. Not only to preserve it for future generations, but because much of it will carry through to the renewed earth if, if this is it. Now, God's going to redo that, so some people might say, well, I'll just do whatever I want and God will fix it. Well, maybe let's, let's make less work for him. I mean, I don't know. Think about the most beautiful places that you've ever seen. Maybe some of you have been to Alaska with moose or salmon, or you've seen the Denali, or even though I would be a little bit nervous, the family in Conifer, Colorado, that had four mountain lions on their deck. Right? Beautiful animals, honestly. They could eat you, but they're beautiful animals. God created them. The Tetons. All of the pictures from just the state of Wyoming alone, just our state, which people sometimes go through to get to somewhere else. God's creation is the Tetons. The, I mean, it, it is amazing. And the Grand Canyon, Wyoming sunsets, when God created this incredible earth, his conclusion was that it's good. That's good. When Jesus rose from the dead, okay, think about this. He didn't throw away his old body and start over with a new something. They recognized him, right? The disciples knew it was Jesus. He talked like Jesus. He looked like Jesus. He felt like Jesus. They touched him. He had a physical body. In fact, um, Jesus ate fish, which is why I think we're, we may going to require food on the new earth. I mean, who doesn't like to eat, right? And just think, all of those things you can't eat today, you will be able to eat. I mean, if God can do this with Jesus' body, he can do it with the planet, too. I think this new earth... Now, I don't... Some of you might be thinking, well, that sort of limits the awesomeness of God. Well, we would look at creation today and we say this exemplifies the awesomeness of God. 
then why wouldn't this renewed in the way that God originally intended it to be be just as cool and awesome? So why, uh, which is why I think we should explore and experience and take care of our planet. And in fact, I'm going to go, I'm, I think I'm going to go on a cruise next week to explore, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm saying, number three, we get a body that will last forever. Now, some of you may be going, um, I'm not sure I want this body forever. Uh, a recent survey done by Beauty E. Taylor Skin Store, get this, showed that women in the United States spend about $300,000 on their face in their lifetime. Okay, now, hold on. People Magazine says, because I thought $300,000, that's a little expensive, right? That's like a, a house in Colorado. Like a two-bedroom shack, but a house in Colorado. that it's $15,000. I'm thinking, um, who are they asking? $300,000 to $15,000, that's a big deal. But okay, so a house versus a car that, that the average woman spends on her face for beauty. Now, um, I also read that men have more anxiety over their body image than women do. The percent of men who are obsessing about their bodies is growing. It's getting worse. That's what happens when you live in a culture that is so shallow, I think. So in Luke 24, 42 and 43 is this. Jesus asked, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and he ate it right before their eyes. So the physical body that Jesus... Now, we also know that Jesus was able to pass through doors and stuff and he could teleport places and... I mean, he's God. So Jesus' resurrected body was physical. He wasn't a spirit. He ate real food. And people, people asked the Apostle Paul what kind of a body we would have for the new earth. And he said it would be made out of the kind of matter that would last forever. One day, we will get the perfect body that will last forever. Won't that be amazing? We won't have to worry about knees that hurt or looking at water and gaining weight or all of those other things that are just a part of our everyday life, honestly. And here's, here's the good news. Again, we get to eat great food forever. Jesus touched people. I mean, aren't you glad that hugs and physical touch will be a part of our life forever? I think that's great news because someday we're going to get this new body and then number four, we're going to get a lasting promise for our relationships. Who suffers the most when someone dies? The people that love them. And why do they suffer? Because love binds us to each other in intimacy, in joy, in life, in experience. And what does death do? It separates that. You know, we, we grieve so hard for people that we love so much because we love them so much. 
But again, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. When Jesus stood before the grave of his dear friend Lazarus, what did he do? It says he wept. He didn't shed a crocodile tear. You know, it says that word wept, it was an angry cry. His spirit raged, not just because of Lazarus possibly, but because Jesus in that moment is experiencing what every other person on the planet experiences when they lose somebody they love. Jesus knew that millions and millions of people, including us, would stand at graves and weep and wail because we lost somebody that we love. Now, with all due respect to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, if you know who that is, who says that death is a friend, and with all due respect to other major world religions that describe death as a natural process, as merely a rearrangement of atoms, as the slow burning out of a candle, death was not a part of God's original plan. Because Jesus took it on, he walked right into the teeth of it, and then he punched a hole out the other side. And when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his dear friends, it changed them. And when we truly see and believe in Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, it changes us. We receive the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. If you missed last week's message, maybe jump online and and give it a listen. And at some point in the future, will return and be with us and and we will be and will be together with us forever, for all of eternity. One of the great images of the last book of the Bible is in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where it says, After this, John says, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Now, when I read that verse, who do I see? I see my mother. I see my Grandpa Reuben. And my grandma Ruth. And all those friends that have died and gone before me. In one of the great promises is that one day we can be reunited. Because death does not have the final say. Death is not the end. When Jesus ate the bread and drank the wine at the Last Supper, he told them that he would eat and drink with them again. And he did. And he will. And that can be true for us and for those that we love as well. Because everyone who comes to Jesus, Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 30. Seven, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The thief on the cross believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was stating that to the other criminal that was on the cross. And what did Jesus tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Sadly, many people don't want Jesus in their life now or forever. 
Some people make a joke about it. They don't want God. You know, party on. Yep. I'll see you in hell, right? People say that. Yeah. Um, They don't want a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we can't force or coerce a person to love us. Love must be chosen. And I believe we have that decision before us when presented with Jesus Christ as well. You see, hell isn't a place God sends people for punishment. Hell is the logical destiny for people who don't want to be in a loving loving relationship with him. Who don't want to live in God's kingdom. Those who do. This is the payoff for our work. This is the purpose for our world. It's the promise not only for our future, but for our now, for our today. And I know, trust me, I know there are times in my week, in my day, where I think, how can can I be experiencing the kingdom of God right now? Because it does not feel like it. This is hard. This is painful. This hurts. But we have to trust what God says in his word. He says he hasn't left us. He says he hasn't forsaken us. You know, let's, uh, Caleb, come up here. You have one song. Let's, let's come up here, Caleb and the rest of the worship team. I didn't look at the plan. What's the last song? God is able. Let's do this while these guys are getting ready for our last song. Let's all stand. And I want us to pray together the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. And we'll at least all have the same version. Our Father in heaven,